Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com podcast. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, my name is Oscar de Leon Casasola. I will be happy to present today uh, the role of drug-drug interactions and opioid therapy in pain management. I am a professor of anesthesiology and medicine at the Jacobs School of Medicine at the University of Buffalo in Buffalo and uh, the uh, chief of the division of pain medicine at the Roswell Park Cancer Institute, where I am also a professor of oncology. The objectives of this presentation are to discuss the importance of drug-drug interactions when using opioid therapy, and uh, to focus on metabolic pathways to explain the reason underlying these interactions with opioids and other drugs. So why should you care about drug-drug interactions? The Institute of Medicine reported in January of 2000 that uh, 44 to 98,000 deaths occurred annually due to medical errors. Of this number, it was estimated that 7,000 deaths occur due to adverse drugs reactions and drug-drug interactions were the frequent cause of this problem. There's also data that shows that these numbers may be higher, and uh, it claims that 6.7% of hospitalized patients have a serious adverse drug reaction with a fatality rate of 0.32%. Consequently, this is a significant issue and if these numbers are true, adverse drugs reactions are the fourth leading cause of death in the uh, United States ahead of pulmonary disease, diabetes, and other problems. So this is the reason why I'm discussing this issue because uh, interactions of uh, several medications with opioids have a significant relevance. The first concept is um, understanding of the underlying mechanisms. And uh, in this regard, there are pharmacodynamic and pharmacokinetic effects. If you remember, pharmacodynamic uh, leads or, uh, with the uh, uh, effect that the drug has in the body. And pharmacokinetics uh, deals with the uh, uh, effects that the body will have on the drug in order to absorb it and metabolize as well as clear it. So uh, these issues have importance in how these interactions will occur. Pharmacodynamically speaking, there are significant issues when co-administering several drugs with opioids. The first one are the CNS depressants. We have sedatives, hypnotics, tranquilizers, and and tricytic antidepressants. They are recognized to increase the risk of respiratory depression, hypotension, profound sedation dealing to or dealing or leading to coma or death. Consequently, co-administration of these medications should be used with caution. And I'll discuss this uh, in a little bit. Alcohol is particularly important uh, for two reasons. Number one, it may have a sedative effect. And number two, it also increases the uh, opiate levels 
that uh, may result in dumping. That is to say, the sudden increase in plasma concentration when utilizing extended release or long-acting opioids. So one has to counsel patients not to consume alcohol when taking opioids. The other uh, important drug-drug interaction is diuretics. Uh, there is a, a reduced efficacy of diuretics when uh, co-administered with opioids, and this is uh, associated to the release of antidiuretic hormone, ADH. And finally, we have the drugs that act as inhibitors or inducers of various cytochrome P450 enzymes because they may uh, increase or decrease the uh, plasma concentration of uh, the opiates. When we discuss uh, opiates, we also are concerned about QTC prolongation. Methadone and buprenorphine can prolong QTC interval in some patients. Uh, this is a dose-related phenomenon, and uh, we recognize at this point that methadone uh, is at the greatest risk. So when using this medication, one has to monitor the EKG or consider alternative drugs should any abnormality would develop. The mechanism underlying this QTC prolongation is the effect of methadone in uh, the uh, potassium uh, channels that may lead to uh, QTC interval prolongation, polymorphic uh, ventricular tachycardia or torsade de point. Uh, risk factors include hypokalemia or hypocalcemia, the concomitant use of QTC prolongers, drug interactions, pre-existing heart disease, and high doses of methadone, typically more than 90 milligrams uh, per day. So in order to uh, appropriately utilize the methadone in patients uh, that may be at risk, one has to get a uh, baseline uh, EKG to uh, measure the QTC, monitor the QTC periodically, and uh, discontinue it if QTC interval exceeds 500 milliseconds. It is noteworthy that several medications may actually prolong the QT interval. They include amiodarone, antiretroviral agents, antifungal agents, especially fluconazole, calcium channel antagonists, diltiazem and verapamil, for instance, macrolide antibiotics, erythromycin and clarithromycin, uh, quinolone antibiotics, ciprofloxacin, and selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor antidepressants like fluoxetine, paroxetine, or sertraline. So one has to be very careful in co-administering these medications with methadone. And uh, of course, we have other agents like amitriptyline, tamoxifen in patients with cancer, and uh, the use of um, quinidine. Uh, in this uh, this population. So uh, we suggest that uh, patients who are in methadone should have a uh, review of uh, their uh, medication usage and uh, uh, be particularly uh, careful about co-administering these uh, aforementioned drugs. Metabolism is uh, an important issue in these interactions. And uh, if you remember, there are two types of metabolism. Phase one, which is oxidation involving the cytochrome P450. Phase two is a conjugation uh, pathway that uh, uses uh, glucuronidation and sulfatation as uh, a uh, mean to uh, 
uh, metabolize the medications to make it uh, soluble and then excretable from the body. As a, a rule of thumb, it is critically important to recognize that there are five opioids that are not metabolized via oxidation. That is to say via the CYP450, cytochrome P450. Those are morphine, oxymorphone, tapentadol, and hydromorphone. The fifth one is one that is not uh, frequently utilized, levorphanol. The rest of the opiates are metabolized via oxidation, the CYP450, and as a result of that, they are uh, exposed or at risk for drug-drug uh, interactions. This is the major issue. The uh, uh, major enzyme uh, that uh, is involved in opioid metabolism is the CYP3A4, CYP3A4. And the problem is that uh, this enzyme is a uh, substrate or uh, is at risk of inhibition by several other medications. You have among the inhibitors, calcium channel blockers, statins, uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitors, uh, the use of tricyclic antidepressants, uh, antibiotics such as ciprofloxacin, clarithromycin, erythromycin, uh, etc. Uh, antifungal agents such as fluconazole, itraconazole, ketoconazole, and others, and uh, steroids just, uh, such as uh, methylprednisolone. Uh, it's also important to note that uh, the use of grapefruit juice or eating a grapefruit by patients um, through the uh, active ingredient bergamotin in uh, grapefruit can actually inhibit the CYP3A4 enzyme for up to six to eight hours. So something as simple as having grapefruit juice in the morning when the patient takes uh, his or her opiate can actually result in uh, inhibition of the 3A4 system, higher plasma concentrations and side effects. On the other hand, you have the inducers. And we know that anticonvulsants may actually induce the system and result in a more rapid metabolism that leads to inadequate pain control. So keep an eye for carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, phenobarbital, phenytoin, and valproic acid. As far as foods, caffeine also has an effect and is an inducer of uh, the CYP3A4 system. So avid coffee drinkers may actually experience a lower effect from uh, opiate therapy uh, when compared to patients who do not drink uh, coffee. The other enzymatic pathway that is important is the CYP2D6. We know that uh, codeine and hydroquinone must be converted to morphine or hydromorphone before analgesia has to occur. In the case of tramadol, it must be converted to O-desmethyltramadol for that to happen. And the problem is that CYP2D6 is congenitally absent in 7 to 10% of uh, U.S. whites, 3% of uh, African Americans, and 1% of Asians. So one has to uh, be aware of this uh, interaction because patients uh, who have a congenital absence of 2D6 enzyme may not have analgesic effects from hydrocodone, codeine, or tramadol. 
In, uh, in short, if a patient is receiving several agents that may inhibit the 3A4 cytochrome P450 system, it may be safer to utilize opioids such as morphine, oxymorphone, hydromorphone, or tapentadol in this population in order to avoid these drug-drug uh, interactions and uh, potential increase in the uh, plasma concentrations. So in conclusion, pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic, and pharmacogenetics provides us with very important information to pay, make decisions regarding opioid choices in the management of patients. The basic science knowledge has evolved to explain and resolve several cl clinical dilemmas that explain why some patients taking several medications may be at risk of experiencing this increased risk in side effects. Thank you very much. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com podcast. Also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.